you did. Uh, the school age kiddos are staying in with us today, and uh, hopefully, kids, when you came in, you received a little brightly colored packet with some uh, coloring sheets and things um, for you to follow along. I want to make the point, though, that uh, especially for your kid, for our kids. If the kids would listen just a minute, like, uh, this is not just to get you through uh, this hour without squirming. Um, I really believe that God wants to speak to you and can speak to you too. I remember back when I was uh, five, six, seven years old of things that God clearly spoke to me as a little kid, not grasping all the philosophies of uh, Scripture or doctrines of Scripture. It's hard to... Uh, introduce a kid to a certain philosophy, it's not hard to introduce them to a person, and that person is Jesus, and that's what today is all about. So kiddos, if you could follow along, uh, I would encourage you, we start the book of Jonah today, which is a narrative of a story, and if you would draw maybe what you kind of hear as we, as we read in this story, I would love to see your picture afterwards. Um, got some great little artists in here. So, uh, and I'd encourage the rest of you, if you would open up to Jonah chapter 1 as we start that. Typically, our goal is to go through a book, if not two books, um, a year, and then we'll pause sometimes uh, in between those for some special topical sermons that address certain issues in the life of our church. And uh, I was excited about Galatians. We finished that last week, and I'm certainly excited about the book of Jonah before we uh, jump in, would you take just a minute and pause right where you're at and pray with me? Um, I would hate even for you adults for this just to be a uh, check on the list for you that we made it through Sunday morning. But uh, God of the universe wants to speak to you. Uh, he answers Moses. When Moses asked, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell him I am. And God certainly is. And, uh, and he wants to speak to you today. So if you would just pause just a moment with me. And would you just be honest with him in your prayer this morning about the condition of your heart, the frustration, maybe even the busyness of life that you've not heard him speak for a while. You just ask him to speak to you today. Father, you are good and awesome and faithful. You are the I am. Um, you are the essence of life. Relationship and walk with you is what the good life really is about. And you sent Jesus to show us that very thing. He invited his followers that if we wanted life, we should follow him. So, Father, I pray uh, today that uh, our mind would be focused on you, that you would Speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jonah 1. Did a harp start playing while I was praying? I think I heard a harp. The angel Gabriel himself has joined us for a moment. Um, we're starting the book of Jonah today. I want to do a little intro before we get into um, the book of Jonah. Um, it's a short little book. I think just 48, uh, four, cha uh, four chapters, 48 verses. And uh, God's name is mentioned over 30 times in these 48 verses. That's the point of Jonah, is God and his relationship with us. 
God wrote the book through his servants. Jonah's name means dove, doesn't have a whole lot of significance that we know of. 2 Kings 14 says that Jonah served God under King Jeroboam II. He was from a little village uh, close to where Jesus grew up in Nazareth in a place called Galilee. Um, Some just a few miles apart. Certainly Jesus growing up would have known the great prophet Jonah uh, was from his hometown basically. This event that Jonah uh, refers to here likely happened in the 8th century or 8 centuries before Christ came. He was a contemporary of uh, Hosea and Amos. And Jonah focuses on the prophet himself rather than the message. We just get a few words of the message that he preached. Most of the focus was on Jonah. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And and, uh, I'm not ruining the story for you. I'm sure you've heard it. God sent Jonah to Nineveh and he rebelled. He was swallowed by a great fish. He repented, finally fulfilling his mission. But even after all of that, without really the right heart, when Nineveh repented in chapter 4, the reason of Jonah's rebellion became clear that he had feared that God would forgive the Ninevites. And when God did forgive them, Jonah resented God for it. The major theme of the book of Jonah is really twofold. A prophet who does not have the heart of God, that being Jonah, and God who cares deeply about the heart of man. Just reading chapter 1, getting ready for this, I got so frustrated with Jonah. I would have nothing to do with him anymore until God this week showed me that I was so much like Jonah. If there's ever been a message that has caused me to repent more, I don't remember it. Um, Every time I would sit down to write this message, just tears flowing down my face and a heart of repentance as I saw myself in Jonah. If I had to summarize it more succinctly, I would say that the theme of Jonah is scandalous pursuing grace of God. Jonah's listed in the prophets, but there's almost no prophecy in the book. The purpose of Jonah is not information, but heart transformation. We're not getting a lecture here. We're getting invited into this story of a man's struggle with God and God's call on his life. And today, we're just going to get through the first seven verses or so. And we see really two characters in this chapter one. We see the running prophet, and we see the pursuing God. Would you read those first few um, verses with me, starting in chapter one, verse one? There's so much in these 48 verses, and we could have made this an eight to ten week series. We're going to try to do it in five weeks. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and cried out. Each cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? 
Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give us, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. You see very quickly in the beginning of this that God calls Jonah to bring a message of repentance. And as happened many times throughout the history of uh, God's people, that God would speak to a prophet and he would give that prophet a message. And that, that prophet was to take that message and bring it to the people. That's why we see in verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him there in verse 2 to go to Nineveh. Now before we're too hard on Jonah and his rebellious ways, I want us to see first that this really was a hard calling Jonah was a prophet up to this point to the nation of Israel. He was a, he was a homeboy. He was a, a hometown kind of guy. His ministry was local. He was to go throughout the nation of Israel, maybe Judah, and we would be bringing them messages um, from God. And now this hard call comes to Jonah to go actually to Nineveh. And we're going to talk about more about Nineveh in coming weeks, but Nineveh was possibly the largest city in the Assyrian Empire They many times had had war with the nation of Israel. They were equivalent to today's New York or Paris, London, the kind of city that made things happen. Archaeologists have uncovered ruins that lead us to believe that nearly a million people lived here in this ancient city, an incredible city. So God called him to go to Nineveh, this country boy headed to the city, right? called to leave the country and move into the city, not just any city, but the city. And this call was likely not just, hey, take this message here. Nineveh was a long way away. It was, hey, go plant roots here. I want you to leave the assignment that I've had on your life to be a prophet to Israel, and I want you now to become a foreign missionary, so to speak. I want you to leave what you have here. I've got a message that you need to bring to Nineveh. And if he was anything like any of his other prophets, contemporary prophets, that this was not going to be a one-time message. This was going to be the new message of his life, and he would likely spend his days in Jonah's, mind, in Jonah's mind in Nineveh bringing this message forward. It was a call to uproot a life where he was comfortable and plan his life in this different country. That's a hard call, but that's not unlike God, is it, that he would call us into hard things? God has always called his people to do hard things. I was thinking about that this week, that we want comfort, most of us, right? We want to be comfortable. We don't want conflict. We don't want pain. We don't want unfamiliar circumstances or areas. We want comfort. But most of the time, throughout all of Scripture, when God called any of his people to do anything, his call on them was a hard call. As a matter of fact, Jesus would make it very clear to say, if anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross. Listen, the call to follow Jesus is an extremely hard call. He didn't say that we're going to take up, uh, you know, comfy pillows or a recliner and follow him. No, Jesus actually said to be a Christ follower means I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to follow me. In other words, it means death to yourself so that you can live for him. Jesus would go as far as to saying, listen, before you even come and follow me, I want you to do this. Think about this. Do this with a sober mind. I want you to count the cost. Because there's going to be a great cost involved in following God. 
I was thinking about this and all the hard things that God asked his people to do. Just read through the book of Genesis, read through the Old Testament, and you'd see one right after another, starting with Abraham, leaving home. He says, God, where do you want me to go? And God says, I'll just tell you, I just want you to leave. Moving to an unknown country with unknown language. He called Moses. I want you to go stand in front of Pharaoh and Bring about the deliverance of Israel. He called Gideon to attack the 15,000 Midianites. was just 300 men. And on and on we could go. We could look at John the Baptist bringing a message of condemnation to Herod for stealing his brother's wife. And he was unrelenting in that message that ultimately got him killed. We could think of Mary, the very mother of Jesus, carrying the Christ child as an unmarried 14-year-old. Think of all the death of her dreams in this. All of these are hard callings. And I want to ask you this, what hard thing is God calling you to? We can look at Jonah and be, man, Jonah, ridiculous, man. Just go and bring the message. Just do what God's calling you to do. But listen, if we're honest here this morning with ourselves that God has placed a hard call upon our lives, what hard thing is God calling you to do? Maybe hard things with your money. It's not yours anyway, let me remind you. Or hard things with your time. It's not yours anyway. Hard things with the people around you. Hard things with your family. Hard things with those around you and where you work, where you play, where you live. What hard thing is God calling you? And how are you responding to the hard call of God even this morning? Let me remind us that Christianity is not defined by Sunday morning. Christianity, your walk with God is not defined on what you do here. This is the easy call. You get to sit, right, in, a, in a, an air-conditioned building in a comfy seat or somewhat comfy seats um, for, for an hour or two. You get to sing along these great hymns of the faith that this band has practiced. This is the easy call of God. No, you know what the hard call of God looks like is what, how you live the rest of the week. What do you do on Tuesday? Sunday morning, that's the easy call. You shouldn't evaluate how close you are to God based on your feelings and emotions attached to Sunday's service. I grew up in a tradition that sang mostly hymns, and for um, a lot of times it was pretty, uh, our liturgy was, was very common, no, no craziness in, in the churches mostly that I grew up in. When I got into high school and college and we started singing things other than the hymns. We started singing praise songs, and there was this freedom to lift our hands if we wanted to. And I became, uh, man, addicted to this uh, praise and worship. I loved it. And I remember going one time, and I've told you this before, Louis Giglio came to uh, Louisiana Tech when I was there. And we had this incredible worship service led by this incredible band, and it was probably an hour long. Some of you may have been there um, and Louis got up and said, man, that was such an awesome worship service. And everybody started clapping, and, this is, and Louis kind of waited for everybody to stop. And he said, but let me tell you what Christianity needs is not singers of the songs, but livers of the life. Not just singers of the songs, that's the easy call of God. And I love to sing, and I still love to sing. And hopefully we're going to ease up a little bit here at a church, and we're going to love to sing together. So stoic in here all the time. 
but that we would be livers of the life. It's how you live your life on Tuesday, working for a rude boss, living next to an irritating neighbor, doing life with ungrateful kids, the call to give sacrificially to the kingdom of God. This call was a hard call. I want you to go into this place, but not only did he send him to a hard place, the hard call of God was also this hard message. His message was harsh. God didn't say, I want you to go to Nineveh and comfort them. I don't want you to go to Nineveh and just sing the songs. I don't want you to bring this message of comfort. God gave him a hard message. It says right here in the beginning, this was his command from God. I want you to call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let me just promise you, this is the sermon that no pastor wants to preach. I want you to bring the message. I want you to call out against them because their evil has come up. Just a little insight into preaching. No preacher wants to preach messages of condemnation. As a matter of fact, in order to preach really well, you have to die to yourself and your desires and your fear of man that you would deliver just what God has birthed in your heart through his word and by his spirit. Gave him a hard message. And Jonah ran away from it. Look at the passage with me again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evils come up before me. And then verse 3 starts out, But Jonah. God said this, but Jonah did something else. Tarsus was the opposite way. From Nineveh, literally the other side of the world. This was the greatest picture of rebellion against God's call. This was not partial obedience that God called him to go to Tarsus and he went somewhere close to there. No, this was direct and obvious rebellion. Now, rebellion is not ignorance when you don't know what God wants. No, rebellion is when you clearly know the call of God but simply refuse to obey it. Jonah, in essence, says, no way, God, there is no way I'm doing that. Just last week, I was watching the kids. Ashley, I think, was in the bathroom taking a shower. The kids were getting in a little little fuss, and I just, you know, gently told them, uh, told Hudson that he needed to scoot over so Ellie could sit next to him. And he was across the living room, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But basically, he said, no, Dad. So I thought, well, maybe in ignorance, my son Hudson did not hear his father speak to him clearly. So I got off the couch and went closer to him and said, hey, Hudson, why don't we scoot over so that Ellie could sit next to you? To which, again, he said, no, Dad. So maybe just benefit of the doubt one more time, maybe the... the, the little three-year-old uh, just didn't, he just didn't understand what I was asking him to do. So I, I put down your device, Hudson, look right in daddy's eyes. I want you to listen to me. I need you to move over so that Ellie can sit next to you and you can watch this together. And he looked right back at me, no ignorance at this point, and said, no, dad. Which it took me about half a second to rip him up off that seat. We went back to his room and we had a little meeting together. That involved a sad spoon. Yeah, we call it sad spoon. That's got a sad face on the sad spoon. My girls, as I've disciplined them all of 
their lives when I would spank them that they want um, to reconcile the relationship quickly. So after I would spank them, they want to hug and cuddle as we pray. I spanked Hudson. He did not want to hug or cuddle. I said, okay, buddy, give me a hug. And he looked at me and said, Daddy, I do not want to see you. I was like, okay, bud, I get the point. Um, We see this. This is, in essence, exactly what Jonah was saying to God. God, I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to listen to you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try to go just the opposite. I'm not just ignoring the call. No, I'm actually going in the opposite way. This is outright rebellion to God's call on his life. This is not ignorance. This is disobedience and rebellion. And here's the point that I want us to get. One of the points here is the longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. The longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. Jonah just didn't decide in this day that he's going to be rebellious. As typical as most of our hearts, we start wandering. We start getting a little bit further and further away. We're ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We're not living out the call of God on our lives as we see so evident through Scripture. And that is exactly what Jonah did here. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship. I was talking with Jeff Grubbs earlier about this. One of the phrases, it's actually in my notes, I thought this. He said, you know what, there's always a ship headed to Tarsus. Just because there's an opportunity in front of you doesn't mean it's the right thing. Ready doesn't always mean right. Now, sometimes it does. That's why you have to be so clued in to the promptings of the Spirit of God. But just because an opportunity is in front of you, I've heard people say this time and time again. Well, look, it's just all just kind of come together. But ready doesn't always mean right. Always a ship headed to Tarsus. Jonah goes to Joppa. He should have had alarm bells going off everywhere. Even then, he's in a city he had no business being in. And often, this is the greatest grace that God gives to us, this way of escape through temptation. When we have bought into the enemy's lies and we start to actually follow the enemy instead of follow God, we start following our own wicked heart instead of following God's, then we find ourselves in an unfamiliar place with the Spirit of God speaking to us and our, our feet are taking us places they have no place in, in, in taking us. Our hands are doing things. Our eyes are looking at things that no child of God should ever participate in and the alarm bell should be going off for Jonah. Just like they probably in your experience have gone off for you. But Jonah ignores all those things. Maybe you've been in that moment in rebellion where you know you're not in the right place and you come to yourself and you think, man, what am I doing? You can still hear the Spirit of God speaking to you. But Jonah does not repent. says in verse 3, he rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, Going to Tarsus, he paid the fare, went down into it, away from the presence of the Lord. What's the phrase mentioned twice there in verse 3? Away from the presence of the Lord. If you've ever wandered into sin as a believer, you know what that 
voice of conviction that comes. And you know, probably you as well as me, that you hate the voice of God when you're trying to pursue sin. It is the most miserable thing. I remember God calling me just very clearly to serve the local church, to be a pastor of a church. I was a senior in high school. I had already started a couple businesses. I was doing well, was making uh, money. My goal was that I wanted to be a millionaire. That was just it. I wanted to drive really nice cars and wear really nice watches and wear really nice shoes. And I felt God calling me to go into the ministry. And I wanted no part of it. I'd grown up in a pastor's home. I knew there weren't any nice cars or nice watches or really nice shoes in that line of work. As a matter of fact, I saw my dad and my mom give their life away to plant these local churches. I remember being in New Orleans. I've told you this before. We had literally no money. Leighton and I would split a uh, McDonald's hamburger. We loved Lent season because that's when the filet of fish was 49 cents at McDonald's in New Orleans. It was awesome. We each got our own filet of fish. Still love those things. Ashley, every time I pass a McDonald's, I say, you want to go get a filet of fish? He said, if you find a new wife, you can get a filet of fish. I remember God calling me to take a step of obedience, and I was scared, I was nervous, and it was the death of my dreams. I remember reading his word as I had the habit of doing as a senior in high school. I would read a Proverbs a day, and I remember reading, and God, with all of his spirit, just with such conviction, kept calling me to this, and I kept running for it. I actually remember shutting my Bible one time and saying, God, if you would just shut up, I could actually get through my reading today and then go on with my life. Literally said that out loud. He didn't smite me. But in his kindness, he led me to repentance. Surely, surely Jonah knew that he couldn't escape God's reach. Nearly 200 years before the psalmist had written Psalms 139, it says, where shall I go from your spirit? You know this, right? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. But Jonah's thinking had been skewed, had been walking in darkness, as it talks in Corinthians, that his conscience has been seared, and he wants to run away from God. You ever watch watch that show Cops? One of my guilty pleasures. And you see people running from the cops, and you think this is going to end in one of two really bad ways. Either they're going to be caught and charged with more than they were originally being arrested for, or their life is just going to end in this big fiery mess in a crash. That's the picture I get here when Jonah's saying, you know what, God, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to take it to Tarsus. One of the Hebrew commentators said that this phrase in verse 3, that he paid the fare, didn't mean that he just bought a ticket. It really means he commandeered the ship. He, he purchased all the tickets. The ship was headed to Tarsus and he said, you know what, I'm going to liquidate everything that I have. But instead of going to Nineveh, I'm going to spend everything I have going to Tarsus. Kind of like the prodigal did in Luke 15. And at this point, man, I would have just been so done with Jonah. But how did God respond to Jonah's running? Look at verse 4. It says, but the Lord, but the Lord. God said, but Jonah fled, but the Lord. 
hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah ran, but God pursued. This is why I said the theme of the book really is the scandalous grace of a pursuing God. If I was God again, I would have been done with Jonah. I'd be like, well, okay, forget you, dude. I'll find, I'll find another guy. You want to be arrogant? You want to kind of give me lip? You want to do this to me? Well, then, you know, forget you. I mean, there's a lot of other people we can call. There's nothing so special about you, Jonah. But Jonah didn't, I mean, God didn't look for another prophet. He didn't just let Jonah run. And that certainly would have been the easiest thing. No, the gracious and loving and firm hand of God was on Jonah. And Jonah's in the Bible, not because it's just a cool story with this great fish, but because Jonah is so much like us. I think this is going to be a great study for us. Because the Bible reads us better than we read it. It's like a mirror showing us who we really are. Jonah was a runner, and more often than not, we too are runners. Let's ask this question just as we wrap this thing up. Why did, why did Jonah run from God? Well, really, because Jonah didn't have God's heart. Jonah didn't trust God's heart. Jonah thought his way was better than God's way. For a while, Jonah was God's man. He was a successful prophet. Second Kings said he rightly predicted several things about Israel. He, he was a God's man. This job of the prophet was to be a mouthpiece for God. God would speak to Jonah, and Jonah would speak to the people, and that's how it's supposed to work until Jonah didn't like the agreement. And God spoke to Jonah, and Jonah said, no, I'm not going to do it. At one point, Jonah and God were walking together, and everything was good, and then God took a left turn, and Jonah said, no, I'm not following you anymore. Jonah refused to go. The church part of having God's heart is to trust him. It's to trust that his ways are best, even when we don't understand them. To trust that his ways are best and have a deep resolve to follow them, even when we don't understand them. Listen, God's going to call you to do things that you don't completely understand. Let me promise you, as you follow him, and as he is sovereign over the universe, and he knows the end of time from the beginning of time, God, sovereign God, is going to ask you to do some things that you don't really understand. He's going to ask why they call it faith. Right? And, 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 that, and without faith, what does Hebrews say? It's impossible to please God. So God's going to put some steps in front of us, church. And he's going to ask us to follow him and step out. And we're going to be like, God, but I don't understand this. And sometimes God will answer and explain. But most often, as I've experienced, he just says, no, don't worry about that, Luke. I just want you to follow me one step at a time. Today, I want you to take a faith step. And we need to learn from this. That if we don't have a deep resolve to follow God and his plans, then we're going to end up in a lot of trouble. I have to remind myself of this all the time, Luke. This is not about what you want out of life. What is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan for my marriage? What is God's plan for my finances? What is God's plan for my community group? What is God's plan for my neighbors, for my kids, for the employees that work under me or around me? Do you get that? You're just a steward of your life. And all the resources that God has entrusted you, they aren't yours. Your life isn't even yours. Let me give you a quick warning. Don't filter the call of God, the hard call of God on your life through your plans for your life. 
Don't filter them. Listen to what God says and walk in obedience and faith to what he's leading you to do. Jonah ran because he didn't trust God's heart. Jonah also ran because he didn't have a sensitivity to sin in his own life or the lives of those around him. Again, I don't think Jonah just ended up here one day. This was, this was a slow turn away from God. This was a slow walking down a path away from God. Rebellion is planted in our hearts like a seed. It's hard to see at first. Then it begins to grow and grow and grow. And before we know it, it has changed the landscape of our life. And it's too big to cover up. Jonah was not quick to repent and confess. The entire trip to Joppa, which would have taken him several days. The entire, why am I going here? Why don't I just trust God? He's always been faithful. No, but I'm going to keep going to Joppa. He gets to Joppa, another great time to repent. Why why am I even here? Finds a ship going to Tarsus. He's got to liquidate so much money to get on that ship. Why am I doing this? Every moment he could have had opportunity to repent, but his heart was so hardened at that point. Because the longer you wait, the more you rebel, the harder it is to get back to God. Not that God's moved. God's so close. It's just your heart is so hardened. Without a personal sensitivity to sin and recognition of sin, we won't live lives of confession and repentance. Paul Tripp writes this. I got this on the screen. It's personal recognition of sin, your own sin, that fuels confession and repentance. His heart was so hardened, he wasn't even noticing his own sin. He just said no to the God of the universe that loved him and called him. But more than that, Jonah didn't have sensitivity to the sin of others. He didn't care if Nineveh perished without ever knowing that God exists because he hated those people. If there's ever a sin of racism in the Bible, this is it, that Jonah looked at Nineveh and they had been a country that had come in and captured, maybe even killed some of the people that he knew of Israel, and he hated them. He had such racism and bigotry in his own heart. He wanted them to get what's coming to them. He wanted them to fall under the wrath of God. He did not want them to repent. We see this later on. He knew that God would be merciful. He knew that God would forgive And he didn't want to bring this great message, this precursor of the coming gospel. He did not want to bring it to those people. And that's just not the heart of God. That they're going to get what's coming to them. If God really felt that way, where would we be? If God saw our offense and just poured his wrath upon us, where would we be? Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died For us, corporate recognition of sin fuels compassion. A personal recognition of sin fuels confession and repentance, but a corporate recognition of sin fuels compassion. When you and your community group or you and your family or we in this church begin to really understand the brokenness of the world we live in and we get off our high horse that's all about us and our pleasure and what we want. And we say, listen, God sent Jesus to die for a broken and lost world until, until we realize 
that their sin has separated them from God and are going to send them to a Christless eternity, then we'll never have compassion because you just can't fake compassion very long. Maybe you can do it for a day or a week. But church, a corporate recognition of sin is what fuels compassion. Jesus had such compassion in Matthew 9, 36. He said he looks down on a group of people and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Let me wrap this up. For most of us, there's a gap between our, between our formal theology, what we know and believe, and our functional theology, how we actually live. And the best way for us to narrow that gap is to put ourselves in the middle of this story. We are all Jonah in some rights, all of us refusing to follow God, refusing to obey in certain areas of our lives. Who in here could say or boast this morning that we are 100% in line living out the word of God, every last word of it? No, we're all running in some areas of our life. In God, instead of being done with us, Instead of his wrath leading to repentance, Scripture said his kindness is what leads us to repentance. The gracious, loving, sometimes firm hand of God is pursuing us. Now, if I could make an appeal for, to you this morning, quit running. As I made appeal to my own heart this week, just quit running. Quit filtering God's plan through your dreams. Quit doing that. Just listen to God and what he says. Just take a step. It's, if, if it's financially, just take a step and give. If it's relationally, just take a step. Restore that relationship. If it's living missionally that you need to do, just invite a neighbor over. Brag on God tomorrow at work. Just whatever God's leading you to do, just take a step. We don't know what's going to happen on the other end of our obedience. We don't. We have to trust that a gracious and loving God who's pursuing us is also pursuing people around us. And the greatest image we have of that is in Jesus. This is the passage we read in Scripture reading, 2 Corinthians 5.15. This should grip your heart. And Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Maybe you would say that to yourself, that Jesus died so that I would no longer live for myself. That's the very reason it says that he died, but that we would live for him who for their sake, our sake, was raised. I don't know what your response needs to be to God this morning, but I pray it's one of confession, repentance, and faith. We're going to take communion here in a minute. This is just this outward illustration, expression, symbol of this inward reality, this, real, this thing that really happened. For all of us who are believers in this room, that you were actually rescued out of the domain of darkness and taken into God's kingdom of light. And before Jesus left, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And when you do it, you're proclaiming my death again and again. You're saying to yourself as you take it that Christ died so that I would no longer live for myself. But in a similar way, I would pour my life out for others. 
Let me say a prayer for us.